Greetings. This is P.R. Balachandran, and I welcome you to the third part of a series of conversations with Dr. Bimal Patel on how to make city planning work in India. In the first part, we discussed the need for a paradigm shift in the approach to urban planning and then broke it down into several areas of intervention. In the second part, we talked about how planning needs to acknowledge the unpredictability of the future. And today's discussion is on working with markets. Hi, Bimal. Welcome back to our podcast. Thank you, Bala. As uh, in the last two times, very happy to be here. Thank you. Bimal, when you suggested this title, Work with Markets, I must say that it took me back to when I started working with you. I think it was the end of 1995, soon after I completed my master's in urban planning from SEP. You had completed your PhD at Berkeley sometime before that, and you were sort of conceptualizing ways of engaging with the planning system in Gujarat. India was still in the early days of liberalizing its economy. There was no private sector involvement in urban planning to speak of, and most planners really had no clue about how planning should deal with the emerging market economy. It'll be great if you could start by reflecting a little bit on that period and then talk about uh, different approaches to planning and market mechanisms. Yes, well, I, that's a good place to start. Uh, um, I, you see, I, I studied planning in the US, not in India. And I came back to India in 1990, just or 95 is when I really got going after my PhD uh, in urban planning in India. And by that time, India had just liberalized. But you know, what was very, very interesting for me was that when I was at Berkeley studying planning, um, and when we had to study planning theory, uh, the standard question that uh, we were supposed to have an answer to or be able to answer uh, was, when is planning justified? I mean, in the US, uh, when you study planning, the default assumption is that markets work fairly well in, uh, in, in, in producing, uh, in allocating resources and in, in generally uh, organizing productive activity. Uh, you uh, assume that they are efficient and uh, can you know, be uh, used in most areas but they do fail in some places. And so your standard planning theory question had to be answered by saying, well, these are the places where markets fail. And therefore, uh, this is where planners have to intervene in the economy. And that intervention is therefore justified because markets cannot work here. Now, when I came back to India, it took me some time to discover that it was completely the reverse. Uh, India for many years had operated under the assumption that uh, the best way to organize an economy is a command and control approach from the top, like the Soviet Union, uh, where people sitting uh, atop uh, the whole system uh, you know, took decisions about how to allocate resources, where things should be produced, what should be produced, how things should be managed across the whole country. Right. And here, you have to justify uh, not uh, you, you. You didn't have to justify, you know, where planning is necessary. You had to justify where markets are required. Right. 
So this was very, very strange uh, uh, because the default assumption was everything has to be decided bureaucratically, markets don't really function, uh, and we should use them sparingly only once in a while, um, and India was still learning. So these are two completely different approaches to urban planning. One where it says, okay, I'm not going to be very interventionist. I'm going to intervene only when I'm necessary. And that's the sort of paradigm that we need to go into. But the paradigm that is, and that still grips uh, the Indian imagination is that everything needs to be bureaucratically justified. Once in a, you know, you, you still have to make space for markets. Uh, so it's the reverse. And, and I hope that, uh, uh, that this whole mindset changes uh, at the lower levels uh, much more. Yeah, well, that was 25 years back and still here we are talking about it. In our last episode, we talked about the fallacy of using uh, trend-based projections to anticipate an essentially unpredictable future. And we also talked about the delusion of uh, deterministic planning based on normative standards. Can you put these in the context of markets well you see um the the big thing to for for indian planners to learn about markets is that you cannot expect markets to produce the outcomes that you want them to i mean they're not something that you can sit and control uh, and 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 sort of uh, uh, um, make them produce uh, whatever you want therefore you cannot expect that goods will be produced at prices that you want them to, uh, you know, in, in, in ways that are affordable. You cannot uh, force them to produce, even to produce things that are all required for the country. Um, so most planners and most officials in Indian uh, um, sort of systems do not understand really the functioning of markets. And one reason is that they have never uh, um, studied economics, most of them. Uh, a lot right. of them come from uh, architectural or engineering backgrounds, at least in the planning field. And in many other fields, they've simply not understood economics. And that's the real, uh, real, prob real problem of, uh, of, of this paradigm. People don't understand that markets are like, uh, and, uh, are not, I mean, you're not driving a truck that you just decide where you want to go. I mean, controlling a market is not like driving a truck. It's like it's more like sitting atop an elephant, uh, and then you know you you can't really control the beast. You have to learn how to operate uh, uh, to to sort of get it to go in the direction you want to go, and that too is not entirely in your hands. So that's I think the real problem. That's an interesting analogy. Uh, so we are saying that we can sort of neither predict market behavior nor control it. At the same time, planning um, seeks to promote development. And in a market economy, the markets have to function well for development to happen. So what's the role of planning in this? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's also wrong to believe that markets uh, function well without any set of rules that are established from the outside okay you uh, for markets to function well you need a framework you need you need a framework that is provided by the government and without that framework markets do not operate well okay and it's really the job of the planner 
in some sense at the city level to provide all the clear indications of uh, that that are necessary for the market to function so so let me let me let me put it this way uh, you know uh, okay. for markets to function you need clear definition of property rights okay. uh, you need you know for in a city for example uh, you need uh, for land markets to function or for or you you will need a whole system to establish property rights uh, now this system uh, has to give very clear signals very clear uh, uh, indications of of what belongs to whom and you should be able to use it in variety of ways uh, now just simple things uh, you need good maps of cities okay you need good maps okay. that will that will clearly indicate uh, um, property rights in the city now without good maps uh, without the definition of property rights in a city uh, markets cannot function because people will not be able to easily buy and sell property or buy and sell land in this case and the real problem in indian cities is that uh, you really don't even have good accurate maps of cities Absolutely. so if you take the land market and it's functioning uh, you need um, some agency that will clearly define and get, produce accurate maps clearly define property rights produce accurate maps and it's on the basis of these accurate maps to start with i mean that's maps is only one aspect of it uh, that people will be able to trade in land uh, along with the along with the with the uh, with the maps you need a system for establishing titles and ownership a record keeping system uh, for for uh, for for uh, defining property rights and, and and sort of recording the transactions that have happened now without that sort of a really solid system in place the land market simply cannot function and so it's not as if there is no role for the state but the role for the state is not to be out there deciding which piece of land to be used for what but to be there uh, uh, to establish property rights so that the land market can determine which piece of land should be used in what sort of way um, so very clearly for markets to function you have a role for the state but that's not an allocative uh, role uh, you also i mean if you take if you take uh, cities in general then you have even uh, a bigger issue you see you have in a city um, there are lots of households and firms that are making all sorts of investment decisions households essentially are deciding where to live they are going to invest in in in, in property uh, you know and uh, you yeah. will have firms that are determining where put up factories where they want to shops offices etc etc now all of these people have to make location decisions and these location decisions have to be made you know they have to be able to predict a little bit about uh, what's going to you know what the terrain is like what the how the city is going to develop where are the roads going to be where is the infrastructure going to be they need to have a clear indication of all of this to be able to make their own decisions the the surer more secure a sort of indication they have the more they will be able to uh, easily determine and, and make rational decisions about where they should locate 
Now, so therefore the planner's function is to be out there providing the information, the framework based on which everybody else can make decisions, not to make the decisions for them. Once again, I say, uh, the real point is to be out there giving clear information to everybody about, uh, so that they can decide things that they need to decide. And that's, that's, the, that's the crux of it. Our, our planners, instead of, 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 of trying to provide the framework based on which everybody else can make rational decisions, they want to make the decisions for everybody. And that's really where the problem is. Yeah, I get it. So you're saying uh, the city can use its plans to you know, sort of set the playing field, set the rules, and let the market uh, operate. But then what about the other way around? To enable market function, the city also needs to understand uh, the market, right? How would that happen? You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, much as you need to set the rules, uh, uh, you know, set the framework, uh, you know, create the, 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 the sort of system within which everybody else is going to operate, uh, government also is a big investor in the city. Yeah. And its investments are largely uh, in the form of infrastructure. Okay. So, and this is all the collective infrastructure that cities need to be able to function. Uh, streets being the most primary water supply, drainage, public transport, parks, gardens, all of these things are collective goods that have to be uh, uh, produced by and invested in by, uh, by public authorities. Um, now, how are you going to do this? Where are you going to put things? Uh, how are you going to uh, decide where to provide the water supply, where to provide the public transport, so on and so forth? It's right. not a one-way street. It's not as if you decide uh, whatever uh, you want and then everybody else has to follow along mm -hmm. that. Uh, this is what Indian planning does. Actually, you have to be a lot more nimble. You have to look at where things are needed. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do planners find out where things are needed. Well, you have to look at what the market is telling you. You have to look at price signals. Wherever, for example, property prices are rising, that is where people want to be. So you right. ought to be going out there and improving the infrastructure there uh, so that more people can easily, without creating stress, be in that, in that area. Now, this is what we are really poor at. We really, Indian planning operates like a one-way street. Says, listen, this is where I am going to put in the infrastructure. You all go and please locate in these places. Uh, and this is the standard arrogant sort of, uh, I, I say arrogant, yeah. I mean, it is in some ways uh, an arrogant approach. Uh, but this is, the, this is the sort of uh, high and mighty uh, sort of technocrat, bureaucrat, sitting up there telling everybody what to do. And it's still pretty much in the lifeblood of Indian planning to do things that way. What you need to do is to do the reverse, try and find out where things happen. And, and that's the last thing we do. For example, uh, even now, uh, you know, um, uh, when making a plan, there are all sorts of surveys that planners are required to do. Uh, you, you, you're supposed to survey the terrain and you're supposed to uh, survey where people are located at present and you've got to do land use surveys and you've got to do 
uh, uh, you know, soil surveys and all sorts of surveys. But one thing that you do not collect information about is prices. Where does land cost uh, more and where does it cost less? Right. Uh, if you find out where, it's, where the demand is going up, then you will know where to put your infrastructure. In fact, we, we just simply don't collect price in. Now, I, I'm always amazed by, <laughs> even now, I'm quite amazed by Google traffic maps. Uh, because you see, what, when you turn on the Google map and you turn on the traffic function and you say, I want to go from here to here, it will tell you uh, the places where there is a lot of traffic and places where it's not. This is like a price signal in a sense. Right. This is, you know, this street is where everybody wants to be and it's red hot. Uh, do you want to go somewhere else? Do you want to go to a street that is going to cost you less in terms of time? Uh, right. So on and so forth. And, and, and you are dynamically determining where you want which route you're going to take. Yeah. Uh, where planners ought to be having somewhat like some, some information system that lets them monitor what's going on in the city, where is the demand building up, and, uh, and for them not to avoid it, uh, in the case of traffic maps, you want to avoid the places where there is lots of people, but in the case of planners, to find out where the demand is building up, where the stresses are, and to go in there and provide infrastructure. So mm -hmm. monitoring prices, demand is absolutely essential. And that is the last thing that our planners do. Almost no systems require them to collect information about uh, land prices, property prices, and other indicators of, of demand. And unless we start doing that, we are not going to make investment decisions for infrastructure that are responsive to demand. They are just going to be something that people are, are doing without any clear indication of that. Right. So this is a much more dynamic and responsive mode of planning that than uh, you know what master plans and development plans have been doing for decades and many cases still do. Those plans are sort of positioned as instruments to deliver what the city needs. So uh, let's just to clarify, are you saying that planning should abrogate its role of providing for the needs of the city? Well, let me first say yes. Uh, uh, first, first clarify one thing. Uh, you're right. I mean, present day master plan and development plans, um, you know, try to, they, they, they pretend as if they are going to deliver what the city needs. But that's, a, you know, the, like we talked about uh, last time, it's a fictional city, a city of the imagination of the planner that they are, uh, that they are providing things for. <laughs> What you need to really provide things for is the real city. And in real time, try to monitor where the needs are and try to provide things there. And that's not what we do. We provide for a fictional city of the future uh, that the planner thinks uh, is going to come about somehow. So anyways, let's put that aside. But I, your, your question is more about, uh, about uh, uh, should planning, uh, you know, should, you, you ask whether it should abrogate its role in providing those needs. I think, that yes, one of the big problems of uh, of the of, of planning and uh, urban planning in India has been that uh, planners have thought of cities as company towns, where where the government as a sort of a is a sort of a paternalistic provider, like the company is like a paternalistic provider uh, that uh, is responsible for providing everything. Uh, right. They really thought these were these were sort of. Uh, communist, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, that style of thinking, 
where the government is responsible for providing all the goods and services. Everything is nationalized. Markets are not going to do anything. So I am going to be the person who is responsible for everything. So if you remember uh, some of the very early development plans of, uh, of, uh, of Ahmedabad, um, planners will go about locating uh, all the shopping centers and where the milk booths will be and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, they sort of uh, took charge of having, you know, of, of, of the whole city and its needs and they wanted to define everything about what's going to be in which place. Now, we soon, well, we, we sort of a little bit out of that mode, we've started understanding that many of the things that we thought the market cannot provide, the market does provide. And in fact, you let it, allow it to provide them, then they will, the market will do a better job. Uh, some of the great examples in India are, for example, telephone services. At one point of time, it was a government monopoly on, on, and, 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 and it was impossible to get telephones and whatever we got was of such abysmal quality. But as soon as that market was opened up, now all of India owns phones and, and, and at prices that are unbelievably low. Uh, um, you know, so, so that's, uh, that's a place where earlier uh, government thought it had to, you know, provide be the things, provider. Yeah. So be the provider and it doesn't need to be. The same sort of thing with, uh, uh, with many other things, airlines and, and now there are other areas in which we are still not fully able to understand that the market will do a fairly good job. If not entirely, it will do a fairly good job. For example, housing. Uh, if you if you allow uh, the market to produce uh, goods that uh, in a, you know that are in demand, uh, the market will pr provide uh, housing. Even now, lot of uh, planners believe that housing is the is the state's burden. Uh, we have you know the state has to provide all the housing that's necessary. And likewise for many many different uh, goods and services. Uh, I think like in the US, the default assumption to start with should be, well, the market can provide it, but you know, here it's going to fail. So I need to step in here, uh, not the other way around saying that everything I will provide now, you see, maybe I'll allow the market to provide something here. That, that's isn't way. Right. So this boundary between the, you know, what planning provides for and what the market uh, deals with is also quite dynamic you're saying that you know what seems to be in the public domain today can be private tomorrow there may also emerge gaps in the market system that the state needs to step in and fill sometimes yes it's not it's not as if you can make a list today of how many things these are best provided by the state and how many things are best provided by the market i mean you these are these are this this is a dynamic situation uh, and and we ought to be examining uh, periodically what it is that uh, has to be provided by the state and what it is that the market can provide better. And how can, and planners ought to be thinking about, uh, instead of saying, okay, okay, you know, I'm going to provide everything, they ought to be figuring out how they can support the market to, to function better rather than at any sign of failure of the market to want to take over that activity. Um, that's the tendency still, because we are still in that old paradigm. And as you said, 25 years have passed since liberalization in India, but at the lower levels and, and in the sort of deep mindset of the, of the state uh, and its uh, officials, we are still living in that old time.
Right. Another huge issue in mindset is, uh, if for want of a better way of describing it, an air of mistrust, I would say. Planning in India sort of sees itself as a custodian of public interest, which it, indeed it is and should be. Uh, but in its zeal to fulfill that role, it often seems to take a confrontational position. And I think it's most evident in the sort of adversarial relationship between city planning and real estate development. What's your take on that? You pointed out to a very, very important uh, uh, problem, let us say, uh, the sort of uh, uh, mistrust of the market and mistrust of market players. And, and, and in cities, you are right, the sort of uh, demonization of, uh, of real estate developers. Um, first, let's look at where this whole tendency to uh, um, to sort of demonize developers came from. Uh, you see, what happened was uh, if, if when, when India sort of moved to its socialist phase in the late 60s, 70s, all sorts of uh, 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 controls were put in place. Um, it became almost impossible for market players to function. Let me give you an example. Uh, you know, in 1976, essentially, with the Land Sealing Act, all real estate development activity became illegal, in a sense. Mm. Uh, you couldn't buy and sell land, and for it froze all real estate activity. Till developers were able to find some loopholes, and these loopholes were just loopholes, they were practically illegally, they could revive the functioning of real estate development. So this is the time at which it sort of slowly became possible only for the more sort of hardy type of developers who were willing to sort of almost bend the law uh, and, and sometimes break the law uh, that it was possible to do real estate development. That's the point at which developers started getting this sort of unsavory reputation. I mean, they're not, you know, developer, real estate development does not have as unsavory a reputation uh, as it does in India in, in the whole world. I mean, developers can be fairly respectable businessmen elsewhere because they're not breaking the rules all the time. But in India, to be a real estate developer, you had to break the rules. And, and the rewards were high. And so a lot of people did. And at that point of time, it became sort of, uh, you know, it, it, everywhere in the popular imagination. Uh, well, these were the guys who broke the rules, made a lot of money, and uh, so on and so forth. So, you know, you sort of, it became almost impossible during that license permit Raj days for most businesses to function without breaking some rule or the other. Uh, what would have been considered normal market sort of normal behavior in any other market now became illegal in India. For example, you know, uh, uh, surge pricing or, 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 or raising prices when, when demand increases and supply mm. is low uh, uh, was uh, shunned as being something completely illegal. You were not, uh, this, was, this was black marketeering in India yeah, at that time. Black market. And so all businesses that uh, where, where prices uh, you know, were raised when there was an increase in demand were seen with mistrust as people who were somehow gouging uh, everybody who was, 
was was gouging, uh, you know, and and this is not going to this this is what led to that development of an idea that or, or led to this uh, um, belief that all market behavior is somehow wrong. Now that has left its mark and not really gone away. And indeed, it's not gone away because rules still remain so restrictive uh, in so many ways that to function, you really have to, you know, uh, uh, be. Uh, well, you are you are you're sort of working always at the boundary. You are you are always in, uh, uh, always almost breaking the law uh, to get something done. And unless we liberalize and reform things, it's not going to work. Yes, Pala. No, I, I totally relate to what you're saying because in that brief period when I uh, was trying to help somebody set up a, an affordable housing company, despite the fact that we were we were trying to address. Uh, serious uh, social issue through the market we really we found that we could not function unless we were willing to bend the rules here and there right and that you know that there's a price to be paid a reputational risk there yeah. uh, uh, all developers are demonized now what we really need to understand is that cities are developers it is the developers who are going to build floor space in a city and floor space is the most fundamental thing that you need in a city, not land and not anything, uh, you know, not, not just land, but land converted into floor space. Now that's the most basic thing that you need in any city. It's unless you have enough floor space, people cannot live in cities. Uh, they won't have houses, they won't have offices, they won't have uh, retail space, commercial space, um, schools, colleges. I mean, you, you need floor space and therefore you need developers. Uh, but we end up demonizing them. And, and that's, uh, uh, you know, instead of figuring out how to use the power of real estate to create what we need, we end up uh, trying to uh, somehow not let them operate and make it incredibly difficult for them to operate. Well, the ones who are successful like this also, because then others are not going to enter into the market. So it becomes a sort right. of almost symbolic relationship between the guys who have cracked the system and can operate within that restrictive system. In fact, we ought to open it up wide open so that anyone who wants to uh, can uh, function as a developer without having to, uh, without the risk being so high as it is today. You know, one of the most uh, evocative descriptions that I've read on off planning compares planning to paddling a canoe in moving river water, having to make those adjustments to uh, stay on course. But I'm still marveling at the analogy that you used in the beginning of this discussion, that of you know, riding the elephant. So in closing, we really can put a steering wheel on the elephant, can we? No, we can't. <laughs> we have to recognize that its power is very strong. Uh, you never get rid of markets, whether you like them or not. They just go underground if you try to deny the functioning of markets, as they did in in in, in the days of the you know of the of the strong license permit raj. Everything op operates underground, and uh, things just don't function uh, if you do not agree to uh, you know sort of working with markets. Um, I, I uh, that that so you you planners have to understand that they're not riding a truck. They have to be uh, uh, understanding that they are atop an elephant, and it's only through 
a few signals that you can make it make it move in ways that you want to and it takes a lot of time to learn how to do that but uh, in ending let me let me just say that one thing that we have to understand if you're going to work with markets is that city building is not going to be the clean neat process uh, that you uh, can have if you're building a sort of a company town in which right. you you know figure out everything and uh, from the beginning and then make all the investments in a clean neat way and each uh, your end goal uh, city building is a long drawn messy uncoordinated process and it is uh, uh, it is it is you know the actors there are operating are going to operate with uh, commercial interests uh, uh, you know which are foremost and it's going to be uh, a process that is messy so we have to accept no city in the world has been built in a clean neat linear fashion uh, we are going to have to ex accept that it's a uh, that 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 this whole process of fixing our cities is going to take a long period of time, and it's not going to follow a neat uh, uh, sort of a roadmap that we uh, that that we determine in advance. And that's really what what it's what it's about about accepting that. Right. Thank you, Bimal. With that, we close this episode. Uh, there are at least two more major areas of change that we need to cover in this series, and I look forward to discussing those topics with you. Thank you. I, I, I look forward to it too, Bala. Thank you very much. Dear listeners, thank you for joining us on this not-so-easy elephant ride, but then that's what it will take to make city planning work in India. So stay safe, and we'll be back with more.